This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Commissioner Nick Sikevich will join us to let us know what the 35th year in NLL history might just look like. Plus, if a spring start is scheduled, what does that mean for the rest of lacrosse? And untimely tweets by Garrett Eppel mean we still have a long way to go. All that more on OTCB. Crossbar Podcast, right here on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Music, streaming throughout the world. My name is Teddy Jenner, and welcome. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. And I'm also on the Instagram at OTCB Podcast. It's been a while since we've chatted, took some time off over Thanksgiving. And after the NLL draft, just to reset, recharge, and give the voice a bit of a break. But got some things to catch up and talk about. And we'll get to that. We got the commissioner, Nick Sakevich, stopping by. We have a lot of questions for him. And what would a new NLL season look like in 2021? When will it start? What can fans expect? I, we talk about Fort Worth, when we can find a name or team colors. And I ask him how close we were to actually being and finishing the season off in a bubble. Because I don't know if we ever really got that answer. Because the National Crossy just kind of sat idly by and watched everybody else kind of battle through it. No, I don't mean idly as in they did nothing because they were doing their due diligence and their research and trying to figure out what the best possible way was to possibly finish off the season, have a championship, some sort of bubble tournament, crown a victor. So we talked about how close were we? Were there finalized talks in place? But obviously everyone kind of wants to know what is going to happen next year. So we'll talk with the commissioner about that in a bit. Two places I want to start off first. One, and this wasn't in the intro to the show, but the Professional Lacrosse Players Association has been around since 1991 and was started and headed up by Dave Suckamore and Peter Schmitz. Now, you may think, well, those names kind of sound familiar because, yes, they were for the longest time and forever since day one the president and VP of the PLPA. Well, this past week, the players had their annual or actually triannual, is that the word I want? Their vote that happens every three years or so. And for only, I believe, the second time in history... Dave Suckmore and Peter Schmitz ran opposed. And the people that were going against them were current NLLers, Zach Curry and Reed Reinhold. And it's not something that 
all fans may kind of jump at and realize the significance of A, Suckamore and Schmitz being challenged for their position. Maybe more so the fact that it's current players that are running for the position. And while it has it, I don't believe it has been publicly announced yet and physically announced yet, and this isn't really breaking news, but there is new blood in the Professional Lacrosse Players Association. Zach Courier will be the new president, and Reed Reinholdt will be the new VP. I believe, if everything goes according to plan, that the new president, Zach Courier, will join us next week to talk about this decision and this move and why now was the time and what this means for not only the PLPA, but for the players, their relationship with Nick Sakevich, the commissioner, and the rest of the National Lacrosse League, and what their goal is. Because over the last 30-odd years, the PLPA has done a lot for players and helped us get to where we are. And so now the players are having more of a say and wanting more of a say, and this might be the best way for them to go about it. Now, this is just my own thinking, and I think and I have thought that there has been needed new blood inside the PLPA, just like I've said it about the Canadian Lacrosse Association. There just needs to be a change at the top. But I question whether current players are the best ones for that position. Whereas you could take a guy that's maybe been out of the league for four or five years that still has an idea of everything that's going on, has gone through the trials and tribulations, but doesn't have a direct invested interest as a current player. I believe there are some PAs, I think Chris Paul is one of them where a current player is the president of the Players Association and is currently still playing. And I'm not saying this is a terrible idea. And again, I will we'll ask Zach that next week when we talk to him. But maybe a player that is removed from being in the league would be maybe the better candidate for that job. But we'll wait and see how this all plays out. Again, congratulations to Zach and Reed. This is huge. Um, apparently, the vote was fairly close. But I think there were some underlying issues with eligibility to vote. And again, we'll get into that deeper because if I'm not mistaken, players that were on the IR didn't get a vote. So, again, that I, I'm not sure if that's 100% true or not. I think something along those lines was the case. But, again, we'll dive into a whole lot of PLPA stuff next week right here on the show. So that's number one. Number two, and I'm sure many of you saw the tweet from Garrett Apple. Last Monday, when it was Canadian Thanksgiving, it was um, International Indigenous Peoples Day, but it was also Columbus Day in the United States. And while people are giving thanks up here in Canada, lacrosse world especially really took to social media and showed love and respect for Indigenous people worldwide, for the Indigenous people that are playing our sport, have played our sport, will play our sport, but more importantly, the creator who gifted us all this amazing sport. Now, Garrett Eppel took it upon himself to use his own platform of social media and untimely put out a tweet that said, Happy Columbus Day with, I think, Italian and American flags. And he got absolutely roasted on Twitter. 
because the true history of Columbus is more of genocide, pillaging, murder, rape. And the fact that he never truly made it here, thought he'd found India, is a huge misconception for people to take that stance to celebrate Columbus Day. And so Garrett got roasted for putting that tweet out because it is very untimely. And a lot of the people that felt his wrath were the indigenous, indigenous people who were already here, the true natives of our land. So he compounds it and makes matters worse by putting out a, uh, a quoted follow-up tweet and then shutting off his replies. And he got roasted twice as hard for that. I think at one point I counted upwards of 50 quote tweets on his secondary tweet, trying to clear his name, clear the air, whatever it may be. He has since deleted his Twitter account. Now, this isn't about Garrett Apple. This is about continued education of not only where we live, the land that we live on, the game that we play, and those who were gifted the game for our benefit. And from everything that has surrounded Black Lives Matter, to Indigenous Lives Matter, to the incident with Lyle Thompson in Philadelphia last year, to the continued struggle that many black, indigenous, and people of color have to go through. This just continues to show that it is there. And we still need to continue to educate people on the history of where we live and the history of our sport. That is why guys like Cody Jamison and Lyle and Brendan Bomberry, Randy Stotts, and... All these people who are using their platforms to tell their story and doing amazing things with their platforms. But it was a glaring look into reality that whenever we think we have it under control, there are still people that need educating and need to see the light. And it is often easiest just to lambaste them with vitriol and anger and cancel culture activism. Where, as we have been taught by the indigenous, sometimes it is better to lend a hand than lend a fist. And no matter how far the apple falls from the tree, we can always help grow new trees with brighter branches, better apples, and a brighter future. The Commissioner Nick Sakevich has a tough road ahead of him. Working alongside the Deputy Jessica Berman, Dave Morgan, Joel Feld, Dave Rowan, all of the people behind the scenes. The National Cross League Brain Trust has to be able to do the right thing when it comes to year 35. It is going to be a very different world because as we've seen, bubbles work. NHL, NBA, PLL, all did bubbles, didn't have any cases of COVID, no outbreaks. But we see in the NFL and the MLB, traveling schedules, no bubble, fans being allowed in, we're starting to see cases pop up more and more. And we're starting to see it in college. Well, of course we are. College kids just can't stay away from each other. Simple, plain fact. But we also know that the National Cross League can't survive in a bubble. Because we need our fans. Our fans are a massive part of the lacrosse 
culture, experience. And so we need those fans in our stadiums and arenas to help this league survive. So what are they doing? What plans are they working on? When can we expect to see the National Lacrosse League back in action? There are so many questions, and we try to ask them all. This is one-on-one with the commissioner right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Joined now by the commissioner of the National Lacrosse League, Nick Zakevich, as we look forward to the 35th year in the National Lacrosse League's history. Nick, how are you, sir? Good, Teddy. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's always good to catch up. Uh, we haven't really talked since draft night. Uh, what have you been doing since that epic five-hour affair? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a great draft. Uh, really proud of the whole team, including yourself, and how we all pu- pulled it off. Uh, our production team, Joel Feld, and all the people, Devin, and, and uh, the talent that was on the show, and the players. It was fantastic. It was, uh, it was the first time. We live in we live in a time now. I'm sure you all understand. It's a first time for everything. So much uncertainty and so much um, so much to be thankful for. And getting that draft done was great. We've been really very focused, um, not just since the draft, but even before it, on finding a the right path to restart our season and return to play. And and we're close. We're we're getting there. We're going to get into that all in a few minutes, but I, I want to go back five, six months to when, you know, we were in the midst of the National Lacrosse League season and the pandemic hit and the world sort of shut down and you and the Board of Governors and all the owners had to have these meetings where we talked about what potential couldn't we do? How close were we or were we ever close to having an NLL bubble? Um, yeah, you know, we, we, we looked at oh, so many scenarios. Uh, we worked with a lot of internal and external partners and stakeholders. Um, I, I would say, yeah, yeah, there was a couple of times we had board meetings and we were contemplating it. And uh, we were looking, you know, probably the closest we were, there were, there were three options that I think the closest we were to executing was, uh, either a bubble uh, in Las Vegas with our friends at MGM and our partners at MGM um, at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut and our partners there. Uh, and and we were looking at something at the track in, uh, in uh, Ontario where the Toronto Rocks uh, training facility is. And I would say all three of those options were at varying points of time, very real options that we were considering. Um, but, but in the end, uh, you know, between really it came down to two things, Teddy. It was the shutdown of the Canadian border that just made it really difficult uh, to get across the border regularly, uh, just really stood in our way. And, um, you know, there was, there was that. And then there was just the uh, logistics of uh, immigration, you know, mm-hmm. getting, you know, as you know, we have a lot of players that, uh, work on uh, visas and work visas. Some were expiring at the end of June. Some were expiring at the end of July. And the fact that the immigration offices on both sides of the border were overwhelmed and there were no, um, there was no expediting work visas or renewing uh, work visas in an expeditious manner. That that just the clock was ticking and made it. You know, at, at one point there in the middle of June just made it impossible to pull off a bubble. So we moved towards the 35th season, and everyone's kind of wondering when that may happen. I've heard that there's, you know, a plan A, a plan B, and maybe even a plan C for tentative start dates. What can you let us know um, for that 35th season? When can fans maybe have hope for a season to start? Yeah, I think we're uh, I think we're really close to making an announcement um, on announcing an opening weekend. Uh, we're putting some finishing touches on what that opening weekend, uh, what the makeup of those teams are going to be, and which teams will open up. Um, I think you know it's fair to say that the fans should expect that that opening weekend will be in the March April time frame. I think I've even said that before. Um, some of our 
club presidents have said that, and that's probably a realistic view. Uh, don't want to uh, say anything definitively right now because, like I said, we're putting the finishing touches um, on what we think is uh, a sensible and smart weekend to start our season and run our season through. Look, it's um, it's hard. There's not a there's not only an A, B, and C scenario. There's as many as a, a X, Y, and Z scenarios uh, in in all of this. So, uh, you know, first and foremost is the health and safety of our players and our fans. We we don't plan on playing without fans. We we plan on playing with fans. And what that looks like looks different in every city that we're in and every municipality that we're in. Um, so we're looking at all that all of that and. Um, we reserve the right to pivot because the one thing that is certain in this environment is uncertainty. So we don't, we don't know what things are going to look like a month from now, two months from now, we're going to school on all the other leagues, the NBA, the NHL, NFL currently under play, major league baseball, major league soccer currently under play. And we're learning a lot. And we have the luxury of time to learn from those leagues and what they're doing. Obviously, the National Cross, sorry, the National Hockey League, um, the NBA, the PLL, they've all had success working the bubble. But now, baseball, football, we're starting to move towards opening that bubble, allowing fans in, but we're starting to see those leagues have COVID outbreaks and cases and really some scary times for some of those clubs. What is the National Cross League working conjunctionally with the PLPA doing to ensure that if and when we do come back, our players are going to be safe and, and the proper testing is going to be able to be done. Yeah, you know, it's it's not just the testing and getting that lined up because um, you can't, uh, uh, you, you know, you, you're not going to solve this through testing. That's just mm-hmm. one of the one of the components of having a good uh, extensive protocol in place to go back safely. But it's, you know, it, it's wearing masks, it's hygiene, it's, it's ingress, in, ingress, egress protocols for the arenas. It's, you know, being able to safely uh, host the game and for the athletes and the fans. And, you know, it's food concessions protocols. It's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, touchless entry and touchless payment systems and all of that to make, make people feel safe. So it's not not just testing we are developing and, and are working on uh, extensive protocols for our games that will all be part of the rollout as we lead up to opening weekend um, and then you know things change the yeah. uh, uh, protocols for treating these things is light years ahead of where it was in March and April and the you know vaccine is in development and you know there's like I said, there's everything is evolving, and we've got to stay ahead of it uh, and keep the priority of fan safety and player safety uh, first and foremost. I will I will say that you know all of our teams are very busy engaging with fans, and you know we have a we have a clear indication from our fans that they want to get back uh, back into the arenas and back to watching our teams play um, season tickets. Are, are up in, a, in a virtually every market, um, mm-hmm. which is a great sign because fans fans vote with their wallets and they um, they want to get back into the arenas. It's our job to make sure that when we do open up, that they get back in a very safe uh, and, a, and a very good way. You mentioned that there is obviously, you know, multiple options for next season and however it may look. Is one of those options um, a Canadian-based division and an American-based division just to, to limit border crossing? Yeah, I mean, if the, if the border uh, doesn't open and isn't accessible to cross border, that clearly has to be an option. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have five teams in Canada. We have eight currently, soon to be nine in the U.S. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're very committed to playing a season. If the Canadian border isn't open by the time we play, you know, we'll know that in advance. Yeah. And 
Uh, yeah, I would I would say that nothing is off the table. Our desire is to play a full full season with full slate of games, um, but that could come in different ways. Yeah. You know, it could come in a shorter time period. It could come in a longer time period. It could come, you know, Canadian League versus uh, U.S. League, and then maybe when the border does open up, uh, a champion between both um, later on in the fall of next year or whenever. So uh, it could come in a shorter number of games, um, depending on, again, all of these scenarios have to be looked at in a very thoughtful, strategic way with safety in mind, first and foremost, and, um, and how we can get back to play. You mentioned the 14th club coming to the National Crossing. That's Fort Worth. Any update on when we may know a name, uh, a team color, or anything further with the Fort Worth franchise? Um, yeah, you know, there's going to be some really exciting announcements um, in the coming weeks and months uh, about that club, and I'm really looking forward to it. They uh, they are doing exactly what we thought they would do when we considered them for ownership, and Greg Dibb and Bill Cameron run an absolutely first-class operation. Um, as you know, they they had a WNBA bubble to work through, too, but that hasn't uh, slowed them down from work, from getting out there in the Fort Worth market. They've been very active. They're taking season ticket deposits. They've been selling. They've been bringing sponsors on. They've been developing their brand, and I think you're going to see a very exciting announcement very soon with, from them. If there's no season this year, what what's the plan for, for expansion? Because you had talked about maybe adding a 15th team fairly soon. Um, is that still on track? Uh, very much so. Um, you know, six, Team 15 has been in the queue, and we have a very exciting market. Um, where actually we have two highly interested groups um, that want to be in that marketplace. And uh, I'll tell you that there's investors interested in queuing up for Team 16 as well. So we haven't slowed down in the area of expansion. We're, we're again, we still remain very bullish. I think bringing, bringing Fort Worth and Bill Cameron and Greg Bibb into the league in June uh, really helped our continue our discussions with expansion and just got people more and more interested in the NLL and what it has to offer. And um, I don't, I don't think any of the interest in the NLL has, has waned at all. And I, I feel good that we're on track for our goal to be 16 teams by the 2023 season. When we spoke two years ago at the NLL finals, you mentioned to me how you looked at what the PLL was doing and how many content people they had on their team. And, you mentioned how many content people were on the NLL's team. Over the last two years, since that night, you guys have done an incredible job of adding more people to your team. How far are you away from having the ideal team inside that NLL office to bring the world of professional indoor lacrosse to the masses? Well, I mean, there's no timeline on it, Teddy. You know, we're, we're a league much like – Major League Soccer was in 1995 when we started that league with with eight executives, and now they have hundreds in their front mm-hmm. office. And that and that evolved over a 25 year period. Um, the NLL is going to be the same. You know, we're we're an evolving business that's going to require investment over the long haul uh, each year. We're we're not going to all do it at once. We're going to evolve and that's what we've been doing you know the nll league office was i think it was five people when i joined in january 2015 and now we're you know upwards of close to 20 people and i don't think anyone can argue that the national lacrosse league is a much different league today than what it was four years ago Mm -hmm. Uh, we were nine nine teams four years ago we're 14 now going on 15 and edit the 16 and growing our footprint. And that requires smart, strategic, carefully planned investment. And that's what we're doing. So I, I, we don't put a timeline on 
you know, how many people we need to add. It's, it's not a timeline. It's a, it's what the business requires to grow and, and what, what our owners and what our teams need to invest in to grow that business. Um, but one thing's for sure. And that is it's a long haul, mm-hmm. you know, that there's leagues that are a hundred plus years old. Major league soccer is 25 years old. It's the youngest uh, of the major five leagues. It's the youngest. Um, the NLL is going to be 35 years old. Um, and we are, uh, not in the top five leagues in, in the U.S., if you say that Major League Soccer is the fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we aspire to be. And, and in order to be, you've got to invest smartly over a period of time and get there. And uh, I'm really proud of the last four years. Uh, we, we're on our way, but we're not there. And we have a lot more to invest in and a lot more to do and a lot more to accomplish before we can take claim that we're in the we're in the top five or top six, uh, if you will. Mm-hmm. But uh, we got we got a ways to go. You mentioned the 35th season. How important is it to to celebrate the history of the National Cross League um, during this very monumental season for the league? Huge. Uh, this league has some amazing history, and you know, uh, at the draft we announced. Uh, uh, relaunching of the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame. Mike French uh, did a great interview uh, during that uh, during that draft, announcing that the Hall of Fame is back. Uh, we're going to have more news coming out shortly on what that Hall of Fame, the details behind that Hall of Fame, and a whole new class that's going to be put up uh, and nominated and and. Uh, uh, inducted into the hall. So we're really excited about that. That history is so vital and so huge. There's so many great players that have played in our league over the years. And uh, we have to celebrate that. It, it's our job to celebrate that. And we're, we're going to be excited about doing that during our 35th season. It is, I, I may have asked you this before, and I, I know Dean may have alluded to it a bit during the broadcast, but is the ultimate goal to have a brick-and-mortar Hall of Fame? Um, we're still evaluating that, you know, I don't, don't want to say yes uh, or no, you know, we live in a, we live in a digital age, uh, where the world has become a much smaller place. Um, uh, so we're, we're not, uh, we're not opposed to a physical, uh, presence of a hall. We're also not sure that that's the, the best use, uh, or the, the best way to, provide access to lacrosse fans to the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, having a physical bricks and mortar Hall of Fame, you know, doesn't, you know, if we, if we put it in Philadelphia, it, it doesn't, it doesn't help anybody who's living in Los Angeles, who's a, a lacrosse freak and mm-hmm. wants to access the Hall of Fame. So we're, we're evaluating that. Um, you know, I, we never say never to anything. And we're evaluating the concept of a brick and mortar and the concept of a virtual digital hall of fame. And maybe it's a combination of both, uh, but we're hard at work at that. Uh, just recently this week, the National Cross League announced that Jessica Berman will be hopping along the, the project play group um, with the Aspen Institute. How important is it uh, for the National Cross League to continue to involve themselves in uh, growing not just the game of lacrosse, but all sports uh, and including everybody and giving everybody that opportunity to play? Well, grassroots, grassroots is uh, at, at, at its core a very important uh, priority for us, an initiative for us. And that opportunity we have with the Aspen Institute, for those that know what it's all about, is uh, a really, really important piece to developing our grassroots strategy you know my time in major league soccer over 21 years i we i i was witness to an entire generation of young kids who grew up uh over 25 years on on a league that today is, is 30 teams and and flourishing and i see the same thing happening with lacrosse we have we have kids that are growing up uh on lacrosse and they're following the National Lacrosse League and 
that gestation period of those kids growing up into young adults, going to college, becoming adults um, in the workforce, uh, really becoming influencers of the sport is going to happen over time. And it all starts with a really good grassroots strategy. And, and that, uh, that is part of what Jessica is doing with uh, her participation at the Aspen Institute is a very important piece that's going to help inform our grassroots strategy going forward. We don't know when it's going to start, but we look forward to the 35th year of the National Crossing. Nick, I know you and your team are continually working hard. I appreciate the insight as always. Stay safe. Uh, enjoy the fall, and hopefully we can talk again soon. Appreciate the time, sir. Yeah, yeah. Stay, uh, stay tuned, everybody. Uh, we're going to have some really good news here soon, and uh, we're looking forward to getting underway. That's the commissioner, Nick Sakevich, with some sign of hope. That something good will happen for all of us lacrosse fans in the coming weeks, months, so that we can get back to a little bit of normalcy. Because like myself, like every other broadcaster, all of us podcasters, all the players, coaches, GMs, support staff, we all miss it just as much as you do. But it will be very interesting to see how this all works out when we get to hopefully March or April for a start of a new season, the 35th season in National Lacrosse League history. So a couple things that I want to flesh out a little bit. And one was one of the questions that I asked the commissioner when thinking about all these plans of A through Z was one of them the idea that you could have just a Canadian division and an American division. And then as you play throughout the, the year, you hope that when you finished regular season and playoffs and you're down to an American division winner and a Canadian division winner, then you could maybe have those one team cross a border and do a final. And I, he said, yeah, there is, that is an option of having a Canadian and an American division. And I truly think, and again, this is just me big braining, that that could be the easiest way to go about it in this day and age as it is right now. Who knows? By the time we get to 2021, February, March, April, bans might be lifted, travel might be acceptable, fans can be up to capacity. Who knows? But I think that's one of the things that they are trying to take into consideration is where we could be in four, five, six months. But maybe having a Canadian division that consists of the five Canadian teams and then maybe you split the two, the American division into two four-team divisions or you just do one eight-team division. I don't know yet. But... That would eliminate border crossing. It would probably avoid a lot of the quarantine issues and rulings that would be out there. You wouldn't have to worry about a bubble. And you can still have your broadcasting and all your games done. It would be a, a seemingly simple solution. And I'm sure it's not simple by any means. But as Nick said in the interview and has said constantly, and I have reiterated those facts to everybody asking me, when will lacrosse get back? Until we can get back and forth across the border and until fans can come in and until visas can be issued, we're in a really tough position. So to alleviate those, at least two of those three major factors, the fans being the outlier, is that you keep players on their side of the border. Now, in saying that, the biggest issue is 
so many of those players on the American teams live in Canada. So that's how not seemingly simple it is. Because you're not going to ask. That's essentially asking players to be in a bubble if they're living in Canada and you want them to only play American teams in American cities, they wouldn't be able to come back across the border. So as great as my idea sounded in my head, I just big brain think tanked it out as we talked about it right here. It's not as easy as it sounds. But I know they want this 35th season to happen. But they are not going to put players, support staff, arena staff, and fans in jeopardy. So I don't know what plans A through Z are. Obviously, the the tentativeness is for April, or sorry, March or April start. And this brought up the next sort of issue and it's what a lot of people have been asking on social media since I kind of teased with the Nick Sakevich quote of we are hoping for a March-April start is everybody wants to know what this means for summer lacrosse and the effect that we'll have on the major series league in Ontario the Western Lacrosse Association in Canada, and it'll affect, you know, junior lacrosse to some extent as well. And here is, again, my honest opinions on it all. And I tweeted this out last night on, actually, I tweeted it out on Wednesday night. The National Lacrosse League is billed as the number one indoor lacrosse league in the world. And it needs to act that way in the tone of voice that they don't need to be concerned with how their actions will directly affect the other leagues. Now, people have jumped at that thought saying this is everybody trying to only think about themselves and to quote Ken Wood, cannibalize all the other leagues. I don't think that is the case in this instance because the National Cross League is the professional league. They should be the high gold bar standard and everybody should be working along with them to follow in line. When it comes to what will this do to the WLA, MSL, Junior Leagues, and things like that, because if you start in March or April and you have a six-month league, you're going into September, October. And that would basically not allow any of those professional players to play WLA, MSL, or whatever whatever league they usually play in in the summer. In my opinion, we have to get to a point and we are going to get to a point where those players won't be allowed to play in the summer leagues because their NLL contracts will be too valuable and their pro teams will basically say, you're not allowed. Because if you go and get hurt playing summer ball, we're not going to foot the bill for your surgery to get healthy because you didn't do it on our time. And that has always big been a big issue for a lot of MLL team or NLL teams when players do get hurt in the summer. Now, as one player pointed out to me, and this is generally known, There are many players who play both National Lacrosse League and Canadian Summer Lacrosse that often make more in the summer than they do during the pro season, and they rely on that money to help them get through the next five or six months till it's pro lacrosse season again. And I 100% get that. 
But that is the turnkey that is the sign that the National Lacrosse League still has levels to go. And when we get to 16 teams by 2023, and we get to 20 teams by 2030, or whatever the next stage is going to be, that the National Lacrosse League is going to have to become a full professional, full-time league. So if they start in March or April and they go to October, I think the big hope is that professional players aren't going to be needing to play for the Shamrocks or the Salmon Bellies or the Lakers or the Chiefs or whoever. Now, some people are concerned that that would kill Canadian summer lacrosse and you would take away the tradition of the Man Cup and the history of the Man Cup and the Minto Cup. I'm not trying to do that. And I still think you can have the Man Cups and the Minto Cups. But just because the AHL doesn't have pro players doesn't make the Calder Cup any less important or the Memorial Cup any less important. I have been very adamant that Canadian lacrosse needs to change in the terms of junior and senior lacrosse. And they need to find a way to combine their efforts with the National Lacrosse League. And the Junior League needs to be a feeder system. And the Senior League, much like the ALL, needs to be a farm league system. You can still have your Man Cups. You can still have your Minto Cups. But just because the best of the best players aren't playing in your Summer League doesn't diminish what your Summer League is. Because the best players are going to be playing in the best league, which is the National Cross League. So, if they were to start in March or April, it is very likely that the season would go through and beyond what a summer season would normally be. And so you're most likely not going to see those NLL players play for your summer hometown team. Yes, it sucks. I get it. But that has to be the next stage in growing the game of lacrosse is to streamline our leagues. Much like the debate that is going on across Canada with the juniors and the midgets of trying to, or U17 and U22 or U21, whatever they are trying to decide that has to be a streamlined effort. And the National Lacrosse League to play, whether it is in April, and March, May, whenever, their decisions are calculated on best and what is best for them. And I believe that it is going to help grow this game more to have the best players playing at the best level, healthy, and then the players that don't make those teams or aren't quite ready yet are playing senior lacrosse, are playing junior lacrosse, and are building their skill sets to get better to make it to the next level. I understand the history and lore of Canadian summer lacrosse. I truly do. Played it my whole life, been involved in it my entire life. I understand the history. I understand the mystique. I understand what it means. But we have to realize that you have to have the best playing the best at their best. And if they're getting hurt in the summertime, it's going to affect them. So for all of those worried about what a spring start would mean for Canadian Summer League Lacrosse, yes, it could very well have a major impact on the players that are there. But how many times have I heard fans say, man, I wish I could see that guy continue to play, but he's just not going to make the team because my team is bringing in other players. They're bringing in all these NLL players to try and win a man cup so local guys are getting cut. Well, 
This alleviates a lot of that problem. So whenever the National Cross League decides to start, it won't be an easy decision to make because of everything that's going on. But I don't think their MO is to ruin what has already been established for over 100 years up here in Canada. I'm just saying they can't worry about that. They have to worry about making their league the best that it can be. Because as we know, in years past, the CLA and the NLL and the WLA and the MSL, they haven't really gotten along together with the Pro League. There's not a lot of working together as is anyway. So if the Pro League can just focus on doing everything that they can do to make it the best league there is, and if that means starting in March or April, then so be it. Canadian lacrosse will survive. But it will definitely be interesting to see how it will look when we don't have these NLL players in it. That'll about do it for this week's show. Thank you to the Commissioner Nick Sikiewicz for stopping by, as always, to give us some time. I look forward to seeing what is announced next in the coming weeks and months because there are some very cool things coming down the pipeline. Hopefully next week we have the new PLPA president, Zach Courier, here on the show, and we will continue to bring you all the news and notes from around the world of lacrosse. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com or check out our snippets on Instagram at OTCB Podcast. This has been another edition of the Off the Crossbar Podcast on SoundCloud, the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network, iTunes, Apple Music, and wherever you get your streaming tunes. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other. Mm-hmm.